chapter 1, beginning in verse 14, it says, I am under obligation both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to the wise and to foolish, so I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome, for I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. You may be seated. Someone has said the gospel in the first century was carried by a good system. It was called the teleperson system. <laughs> and truly it got its good results. You know, better than we do today with our telephones and our televisions, uh, internet, emails. Yet it seems like we're doing less with more to work with. I found a quote from a theologian named Dr. Kermit Long. He says, with all our education, our fine buildings, our image of the church, we are doing less to win people to Christ than our unschooled forefathers did. We're no longer fishers of men, but keepers of the aquarium. And we spend most of our time swiping fish from each other's bowl. In ancient Corinth, there used to be staged the Isthmian Games, which was the forerunner of our Olympics. And there were many events, but the one which received the most attention was the relay race. And the competitors would lie side by side at the starting line and each bearing a torch. And in the distance waited another line of men and still further along another line of men. And when the signal was given, the men started to run, bearing their lighted torches. And when a runner reached his partner in the next line, he would pass his light on to the next person. And so on and so on from man to man until the finish line was reached. With the famous relay race in mind, the Greeks coined a phrase. It says, let those who have the light pass it on. As we continue on this journey through believe, looking to see how we think, act, and be like Jesus, we want to get this key idea. I share my faith with others to fulfill God's purposes. I share my faith with others to forget, fulfill God's purposes. The question I have for you is, are you passing your light on? Or are you just satisfied with having the light? This is what we call evangelism. The, the word evangelism means to declare the good news. More specifically, the good news of the right for eternal life for all who place their faith in Jesus Christ. You know, many of us have received the gift of eternal life, but we have to admit we have shown little effort to pass our light on. In our text today, Paul speaks to us about sharing our light to the world. And what I want us to learn today is we have an obligation, an obligation to be eager to share the powerful message of Christ. And there are three lessons I want us to learn today. Are you interested? Yes. Okay. <laughs> you know, I just want to make sure you're still awake, you know. <laughs> the first thing we have to do is recognize our obligation to the masses recognize our obligation to the masses. Romans chapter 1, verse 14, it says, I am under obligation both to Greeks and to barbarians, 
Paul opens this verse by saying, Ophiletes, this is a, a Greek word translated, I am obligated. The King James says, I am a debtor. But what he's, he's, he's not saying that this is an obligation that's birthed from self-inflicted pressures like a, a owing money, like a car note or, or a mortgage or anything like that. He's saying, I'm not stressed out. But in the context, you see Paul, what he's saying is what my grandmother would call the can't help it. I would do something other than preach the gospel, but I can't help it. I would turn and look the other way as people die, but I can't help it. I would pretend like I don't care, but I can't help it. I, Paul is saying this is an obligation that's birthed from recognizing the need of those surrounding you. It's the feeling of when I look at the situation of those around me, I have no choice but to share the gospel. It's like if you were in a swimming pool and the person next to you was drowning, would you throw them a lifesaver or would you watch them drown? Who is Paul obligated to? He says, I'm under obligation to the Greeks and barbarians. The wise and the foolish. This is Paul's way of saying everybody. I'm obligated to everybody. The Greeks and the barbarians speaks to every language group. The Greeks saw everyone who was not Greek as a barbarian. So he, he literally is saying to the Greeks and everybody else, we should be prepared to share our message with anyone that God gives us the opportunity to share our faith with. We should not think that we are better or worse than someone, no matter what their culture, no matter what their economic status is, no matter who they are, because when it comes to their soul, everybody needs this message. Not only every language group, but he also says to the wise and the foolish. <clears throat> this speaks of every education level. He uses the word here, sophos, where we get our word sophisticated. So what he's saying is even the sophisticated will be separated from the presence of God if they don't have Jesus. You know, our, si our society has gotten so smart and so sophisticated that we have figured out how to operate without God. The problem with that is God has to keep reminding us that he is in control, not us. With every earthquake, he is reminding us that he is in control. With every hurricane, he reminds us that he is in control. With every tsunami, he reminds us that he is in control. With every unexpected snowstorm, he's reminding us that he is in control. We had no knowledge of it prior to its occurrence, and so no matter how many degrees we accumulate, we can never be too sophisticated for the gospel. And just because someone dresses nice and speaks well, that does not depict their spirituality. Because there are people on Wall Street where hundreds of people in Armani suits are dying and need Jesus. We owe everyone who is not saved the opportunity to be saved. You know, in the movie The Titanic, there is a scene when the ship begins to sink. And across the water were hundreds of people splashing in the water in need of help. And the lifeboats that were available were not being filled for fear of overcrowding. People died because lifeboats with people in them did not want to be overcrowded. I have news for you. We're in a lifeboat. And we can't be afraid of overcrowding. As believers, we ought, we ought to be looking for someone to invade our comfort zone. We ought to be looking for someone to take our seat. We ought to be looking for someone to fill our parking spot. We should be looking for someone. We should, help, we should give everybody the opportunity to get into the boat. The question we need to ask is, who is in your circle of influence? Who, who is in your web of relationships, your friends, families, neighbors, 
coworkers, your web of relationships? Who are those people that you come in contact with on a regular basis that need to hear this message? They need to hear this story. They're waiting to hear from you. We have to recognize our obligation to the masses. Secondly, we have to respond with an eagerness to spread the message. Romans chapter 1 and verse 15, it says, So I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. Paul says, I am eager. I'm, I'm ready. An obligation creates an urgency to fulfill the obligation. And when we see it as an obligation, our priorities are shown. A, a sense of urgency is built up. It's like, have you ever noticed at the end of a game, it seems like the football team begins to play harder? It's like, where was this energy when we were losing? We wouldn't be two touchdowns behind if you had this much excitement ahead of time. But sometimes, at the end, somehow at the end of the game, this extra burst of energy comes because the game is close. The game is on the line. A losing is there, and this sense of urgency happens. We need to get that sense of urgency because time is running out and people are waiting on us to tell them our story. We have to be eager to share the message of the gospel to both the saved and the unsaved because there is power in the good news for both saved and unsaved people. The gospel is a message of hope to those who need to be saved. First of all, Romans 10 and 9 says, if you confess with your mouth, that Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. <clears throat> the verse says, if you confess with your mouth, you shall have the void in your life filled. If you confess with your mouth, you shall move from death to life. And the world is dying waiting to hear this message. The world is suffering hopelessly waiting to hear this message. The world, they're trying to fill emptiness with substances, waiting on us to tell them this message. They're trying to fill emptiness with material things, waiting on us to, to share this message. They have no hope. They're trying everything and nothing is working. They have no hope, but we do. We have hope. We have the answer. So we have to respond with eagerness to share our story. The gospel is a hope for those who are saved, and it also, the gospel is a help to those who are already saved. It's a help for those who are already saved. You know, there's something about the recount of the message of the saving act of Christ that reinvigorates my soul every time I hear it. When I'm in the face of adversity, when trouble is in the way, it reminds me of who God is and what he's done for me. When you're faced with seemingly impossible situations, the gospel is a reminder of the miracle of salvation that becomes a witness to the power he has to overcome whatever you're facing. Because if he, if he saved me, then my financial situation is not an issue. If he saved me, then my relationship problems are not an issue. If he saved me, then the problems I'm having on my job, that's not an issue. If he saved me, then I can forgive that person. If he saved me, then I can love them. If he saved me, I can love my enemies. If he saved me, then anything is possible. As believers, there's something about hearing the story of Jesus dying on the cross, hearing a story about how he was buried in the grave and how he rose from the grave on the third day with all power in his hands. Something about that good news is good news to the saved. But I have to admit, even just saying it now, it's good news to me and that not only am I obligated, but I'm eager to share this message with someone else. 
We have to recognize our obligation to the masses. We have to be eager to share this message. Lastly, when we share the message, when we share this good news, we reveal the power and righteousness of the master. Romans chapter 1, verse 16 and 17, it says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation. To everyone who believes, to the Jew first, and also to the Greek. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith, as it is written, the righteousness shall live, the righteous shall live by faith. Paul says, I'm not ashamed. You got to understand who's talking here. This is Paul. Paul, who was beaten by whips and reeds, says, I'm not ashamed. This is Paul who was cast out of cities, and he says, I am not ashamed. This is Paul who was talked about and punished, but he says, I am not ashamed. This is Paul who was thrown into prison. He says, I am not ashamed. This is Paul who was threatened with execution, even in the face of execution. He says, I am not ashamed. He says, I am not embarrassed. You know, some of us won't even say grace in public let alone share our faith. What would make you ashamed? Is it your reputation? Are you afraid your reputation may be hindered because people find out that you're a Christian? Would you be afraid of people treating you differently if they found out that you were a believer? For some, it would mess up your reckless behavior because if my friends knew about this side of me, then I couldn't behave the same way. If they knew I was a Christian and I couldn't, I couldn't tell that same joke or I couldn't laugh at their jokes anymore, what makes you ashamed? You know, I, I know what it feels like to be ashamed. You know, my dad, my dad had this car when I was growing up. I was, in, I was in middle school, I remember. And the shocks were going out on it. And I don't know if you've ever been in a car with the shocks going out on it. But any t- whenever he he turned the corner, he go, I mean, it's just loud. So one morning I missed the bus, and my dad needed to take me to school. So I said, "Okay, Dad, if you just drop me off up, uh, up the street, then I'll walk the rest of the way." <clears throat> my dad, being the honest, loving father that he is, drove all the way to the front door drove in the driveway, backed out of the driveway, and the whole time the car is, by this time, everybody's turning and looking in the car, and I'm sitting under the seat like this with my hands over my face because I'm ashamed. But then he would tell me, why are you ashamed of the very thing that gets me to work to provide for you? Why are you ashamed of the very thing that allowed me to bring you to school this morning? Why are you ashamed of this car that God provides us with to have transportation? Why are you ashamed of the very thing that allows us to get around? Why are you ashamed of the very thing that allows you to have life? Paul says, I am not ashamed. Why? Because the gospel is the power of God for salvation. Why should I be ashamed of the very message that saved my life? Why should I be ashamed of the good news that gave me hope? Why should I be ashamed after Jesus went all the way to the cross for little old me? Why should I be ashamed of the one thing that filled the void in my life? They gave me a new name. Why should I be ashamed 
of the thing that took my zeal to kill and gave me a zeal to spread life? Why should I be ashamed of the work that was necessary to cleanse me? Why should I be ashamed of the blood that covers me and allows me to be seen by God as pure as snow? Paul says, I'm not ashamed. Why should I be ashamed? The gospel is the resource God uses to provide his most precious gift of eternal life. Jesus in John chapter 14 and verse 6 says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. It is the key to turn eternal life. If you have the wrong key, no matter how hard you try, no matter how you turn it, you won't get the results you're looking for. If you try to access eternal life through works, it's the wrong key. If you try to access eternal life through knowledge and education, it won't open, it's the wrong key. If you try to access it any other way, it's the wrong key. We have to teach the world that there is a key, the only key to eternal life, and the only key works. And if you don't use this key, then you got the wrong key, and it won't open. And I know about wrong keys. You know, when I first started dating my wife, she gave me the key to her car to get something out of it. And she asked, do you know which car it is? I said, yeah, absolutely, because in the two months we've been dating, I know everything about you already. <laughs> so she gave me her key, and I, you know, I, I wanted to impress her, and so I, I walked outside to get this thing out of, out of the car, and I put the key in the door, and I'm turning the key, and I'm turning it, and it's not moving. So I'm, I'm jiggling it, and I'm turning it. Then finally I turn it, and I break the key off in the door. And I'm sitting here panicking like I'm trying to impress this girl, and I've now broke the key off in her door. And so after I gathered myself and finally admitted defeat, uh, I went in to tell her, I broke your key off in your door. So she comes outside, and we're walking to her car, and I'm walking this way, and she's walking that way. <laughs> and I say, um, is this your car? She says, no, that is not my car. <laughs> You just broke my key off in somebody else's door. Because no matter how hard you turn it, if it's the wrong key, it won't open. When you have the wrong key, you have no access. When you have the right key, you can get in and start the ignition. People are looking for the right key to answer the questions of their soul. We have the key. It's the gospel. The verse says, to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Gentiles, this does not mean that the Jews are better. It signifies that when Jesus came, he came to share his message to the Jews. But we Gentiles, non-Jews, were grafted in, adopted as sons, adopted as daughters, given access. And when you share the gospel, the righteousness of God is shown. In it, the righteousness of God is revealed. Jude says it like this, now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy. When a person places their faith in Christ, then God clothes them in righteousness so that what was once detestable and ugly in the sight of God now is seen pure because it is covered in the blood of Jesus. Because the blood of Jesus has been applied to their sin nature. Because of the message of the gospel when accepted, God no, no longer looks at me and sees my sin, but he sees the blood of Jesus that was shed for my sins. And I know, I know we're tired of snow, but I have to admit it, 
I love what the snow does for my yard. You know, in the summer and the spring, my sons, they like to do golf challenges in the backyard and, and swing golf clubs. And so my yard has divots all over the place. And then we found out that there's a rabbit that's been living in our garden, so it eats up everything. But when I look at my yard, I'm sad. It's ugly. It's detestable. Then the snow comes and covers my yard. The snow applies its purity to my ugly situation. <laughs> when you drive by my house, my once ugly, detestable yard now looks like a postcard. <laughs> it covered up all the impurities. What was once hard to look at was now made perfect in my sight. That's what Jesus did for us. When a person accepts Christ, the ugly, sinful, detestable nature of man is covered in the pure, unblemished blood of Christ so that what was once ruined in the sight of God is now presented as faultless and perfect. We have the obligation to give everyone a chance to receive that gift. People are going to bed tonight wondering if they're going to go to heaven or not. They don't have to wonder because we have a message of the power of God. We have a message of the righteousness of God. And when we recognize our obligation and respond with eagerness, then the righteousness of God will be revealed to the world. We have an obligation, and the only way they can be saved is by believing in the message of the Messiah. What's the message? That Jesus became a man. He lived a perfect life. He died a horrible death for our sins. Then he rose early one Sunday morning with victory in his hands. That victory is available to all who believe. But how can they believe if they don't hear the message? No matter what level of significance or what level of notoriety you make it to, always seek opportunities to share the message of Christ, share the good news. You know, I started making it a habit um, to pray to God to give me opportunities to share my faith with someone. When I get up in the morning, just praying, God, let, give me an opportunity to share my faith with someone today. You know, because I don't have the gift of evangelism. There's some people who have the gift of evangelism. They can turn that conversation to Jesus on a drop of a dime. I don't have that gift. So I pray for God to show me, give me opportunities to share my message, to share this message with Christ. And once I was a, <clears throat> I was a chaplain, and I was about to go in and see this client, and I was tired, it had been a long day, so I just stopped and I started praying. I said, God, just give me the strength to go in here today and give me an opportunity to share my faith with someone. And I literally, I'm not joking you, I look up and there's a guy sitting on a bench outside. Now this same guy, when I would go in to see, to see this client, He's always busy. He's always running. He's never sitting down. And I'm always trying to get a, a, to talk to him, but he's never sitting still anywhere. And I say amen about God showing me someone to share my faith with. And I look up in the rearview mirror, and he's sitting on the bench twiddling his thumb. I said, okay, God, we'll see what happens. So I go over to him, and I sit down next to him, and I say, I, you're never sitting still. You're, you're, you're always moving all the time. Why are you here today? sitting on his bench with nothing to do. He says, I had too many hours, and they told me I had to go home, so I'm waiting for my ride. So we're sitting there, and we're small talking, and then he says, I need to know how to go to heaven. I'm not joking. <laughs> can you tell me how to get to heaven? I said, yeah, I can do that. 
And I share my faith with him. I share Christ with him. And right there on that bench, he accepts Jesus as his personal Savior just by asking God, show me someone to share my faith with today. At the previous church I served, a young man walks into church one Wednesday afternoon, and he tells me, um, I've been recovering from a gunshot wound at home. Young African-American guy from the inner city, he says, I got up this morning and something told me to go to the closest church. And so I came here. I don't know what to do next. And so his name was Big Patrick. We led Big Patrick to Christ. A few of us gathered around him and prayed for him. And we were planning on baptizing him a few weeks later. But one afternoon, he was going into a crack house to save his cousin, to pull his cousin out, to tell his cousin that you don't have to live this life. And while there, he was killed. But we were assured that because Patrick listened to the Holy Spirit, he got up, came to church, and received Christ. And we praise God that he listened to the Holy Spirit because we knew exactly where he was. He listened to the prompting of God to share this message, and we had a message to give him. And now Patrick is as alive as he ever was. We have an obligation. We must be eager to see God's righteousness shown when people accept his free gift of life. Now, our job is to recognize that obligation and to go be the light of Christ in this hurting culture. So let those who have the light pass it on. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this life-giving message of the gospel. We thank you, Lord, that you give us opportunity to share our faith, and we just pray for the courage to be obedient to that call so that all may know eternal life. In Jesus' name, amen.